This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, nursing homes have been hotbeds of COVID infections. How are they making sure the virus stays out? I've been in this business for over three decades, and this is the tightest control that I've ever seen. Nursing homes and coronavirus when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Reed Pence, the producer and host of Radio Health Journal. If you like listening to Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show, Viewpoints, which covers a wide array of topics from education to history to the environment. Here's a preview of what they're covering this week on Viewpoints. Not everyone understands that this pig ate acorns for eight months. The laborious production process for some high-end ingredients. Then we're told every day, mostly on the Internet, that you can't pronounce the name of a chemical, it must automatically be bad for you. A chemist's take on processed foods. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Radio Health Journal and Viewpoints on your favorite radio station. And subscribe and listen anytime on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Health Journal. COVID-19 can make almost anybody sick, but it's likely to be much more severe in people who are elderly and have other health problems, exactly the population who live in nursing homes. The potential for infection in the nursing homes, as well as, I guess I would say, the depth of the injuries that could occur to residents if they were to contract the virus. Dan Stockdale is a certified nursing home administrator and industry consultant. In the typical nursing home, you've got residents that are over 80 years of age, they're frail, they have comorbidities, which is simply a term that means they've got a lot of medical complications going on. And that in and of itself puts them in a very high risk category. So the reason you're hearing a lot about nursing homes is because they want to ensure the virus does not get into them because of the potential implications if it does. Stockdale says there are more than 15,000 nursing homes in the United States, all of them at risk for COVID-19, if only by the patient makeup. Yet initially, they had no way of knowing that. A Washington state nursing home was hit first when the virus arrived in the United States, and 37 people linked to that facility were killed. More recently, thousands of nursing home residents, especially in New York, have died. It really is a silent killer. It's uh, you know, very hard to detect. You've got a long latency period depending on the surface it's on and how frequently things are being cleaned. So it's not that there's so much loopholes or staff not following through on things as much as it simply is the nature of the virus. Although everybody's doing everything they can to sanitize and ensure that the virus doesn't spread just by the very nature of it, you can't sanitize 100% of everything all the time. You know, there's going to be spots that are missed. There could be a part of the virus on a person's phone and they lay it down on a table and then it's on the table and contaminates the table. Somebody else comes down and lays a candy bar or their own phone on the table, and it spreads that way. Since then, many nursing homes, assisted living, and independent living facilities have taken no chances and turned themselves into virtual fortresses. I can speak for our facilities. The staff, before they even come in the building, they have to use hand sanitizer. The building's on a complete lockdown from all visitors coming in. So the only people that can come in are staff. The staff person coming on duty has to be let in by someone 
who is currently on staff in the lockdown building. When they come in, they report immediately to the nurse's office. We do an assessment on the staff coming in, take their temperature, look for any signs or symptoms of any, you know, like faces flushed or any profuse sweating, things of that nature, plus go through a full questionnaire with them as far as their exposure, where they've been, that type of thing. Then from there, after they've been screened on the physical side, then they are allowed to actually go to the floor where we've got residents at and go to work. In many facilities, activities have been canceled and the dining room closed. Meals are delivered to rooms and residents are discouraged from even stepping foot into the hallway. Anything that comes into the building is treated as suspect. We're also sanitizing all packages that come in. So medical supplies, food, all of those things are sanitized. The box is sanitized right outside the back door of the building. The box is opened, and then the product's actually brought into the nursing home. So we're trying to eliminate any contamination that could have occurred during transport, packaging, and delivery. All of that may be keeping nursing home residents safer, but they're often completely alone. And some adult children aren't convinced facilities are doing enough to really be safe from the virus. That's led some of them to remove their elderly loved ones from the nursing home and bring them home to live with them for now. It's a tough decision. All caretaking and meals would fall on the family. Services like physical therapy would be absent. Young children may be disease vectors. And some facilities say if a resident leaves, they can't come back until the crisis is over. So there would be no turning back. I'm not going to give advice either way on that, but I know in other cultures they're Obviously, doing that is a part of the way they live every day. I will say that I believe the safest place for most people really right now is in a nursing home because we have so many staff members and facilities are going to such extreme measures to ensure that the virus is contained. So from a safety standpoint, I'd say staying in the facility is the best thing right now. When you're in your own home, you've got folks that are going in and out for groceries. It's simply not as controlled of an environment. The nursing homes around this country are, and I've been in this business for over three decades, and this is the tightest control that I've ever seen, ever. If family members in distant locations have concerns about whether their loved one's facility is doing enough, Stockdale says they should go ahead and ask. What we're encouraging families to do is, uh, you know, first call the facility, communicate with them, talk to the social services director, talk to the activities director, talk to the director of nursing. If you have questions, ask. And then we're also finding that a lot of families are FaceTiming, Skyping, those types of things. So they stay connected. And you can see when you're talking to your loved one, your parent, your aunt, uncle, whoever's in the facility, you can see what's going on in the background. You can see and ask them you know, what kind of precautions are in place and how things are going. However, in some instances, families say nursing homes have gone too far in locking away loved ones for their safety. Some elderly residents have been denied the right to see their families in their final hours and have died alone. Stockdale says that shouldn't happen even during a lockdown. We are not allowing that to happen. And CMS has given guidance as well that allows people, if there is a resident who is in critical condition, to allow family to come in. Now, I can speak for our facilities. We have a designated area that we have set aside specifically for that should that 
a curve. If they are just declining in general, we are not going to keep a family out. They will definitely have their family and friends with them throughout that process. However, even under normal circumstances, nursing homes are lonely places. Stockdale says at least now with coronavirus, that's getting some attention. If there's any bright spot in all of this, I think that's one of the bright spots is we're actually seeing people reach out to the elderly. Typically in the typical nursing home, you have a rush of people who are wanting to volunteer and reach out and provide things for residents around the holidays, and then they're gone for the next 10 months. But it's actually bringing folks out again, and it's wonderful. I was in a rural Nebraska nursing home two days ago. The residents in this particular facility, they are coming out of the room, but just one by one. You know, so that they can kind of be out and around the building. And when I walked by the front entrance, you had this lady in a wheelchair and there are about five or six girls from the community that were on the other side of the front entryway on the other side of the glass that were talking to her and, uh, you know, communicating through the glass with her. So we're starting to see things like that. And he hopes those kindnesses don't end when the pandemic does. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, RadioHealthJournal.org. Our studio producer is Jason Dickey. I'm Nancy Benson. Coming up next week on Radio Health Journal. So I'm worried a lot of people are going to be thrown out of work and are never going to find a way back. What will the economy look like months or years down the road once the pandemic is over? Then how coronavirus has spurred telemedicine and doctor visits may never be the same. The genie's out of the bottle. There's no question that telemedicine reimbursement will be forever changed. Everybody has access to a telemedicine app of some sort. All that and more on Radio Health Journal. And that's Radio Health Journal for this week. Radio Health Journal is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more. And check Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify for a library of past programs. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and information about our guests at RadioHealthJournal.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Radio Health Journal.